Hello and welcome to the Food Connections podcast, the podcast that connects you with the food you eat. I'm Dr Laura Wynas, a registered nutritionist and one of Scotland's regional food tourism ambassadors. I'm interested in all things related to food and nutrition and I love learning more about the food we eat, how it's made and getting to know the people involved in making our food. In this episode, I'm joined by Sonia Mitchell, founder of Jump Ship Brewing based in Edinburgh. Sonia loves a beer but hates a hangover. Sonia decided to jump ship from her career in marketing to set up Scotland's first brewing company dedicated to making world-class non-alcoholic beers. Her love of the sea and sailing was the inspiration behind her nautical brand Jump Ship Brewing, which she launched in December 2019. Having gained vast amounts of knowledge on brewing and learning from the many challenges faced in the past few years, Jump Ship Brewing is already award-winning. Sonia also has big ambitions for the future of Jump Ship Brewing. I was delighted to speak with her to find out more about how to brew a great tasting non-alcoholic beer and learn what factors differentiate a good beer from an award-winning beer. I hope you enjoy listening. So hello and welcome to this episode of Food Connections. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Sonia Mitchell, founder of Jump Ship Brewing. How are you today, Sonia? I'm good, thank you. Thanks so much for having me along. That's okay. I'm really interested to hear more about your non-alcoholic beer, how it's made and what got you started making it. So do you want to maybe start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your background and what led you to make beer? So I've always loved beer. It's been my drink of choice as soon as I was allowed into a pub. And I played a lot of rugby in my teenage and 20s. And, you know, rugby and beer go hand in hand. I've also always had bad hangovers. And I think I hit the point in my 30s where I had three young kids, a busy job, busy life, and just didn't really have time to to wake up and waste a day with a fuzzy head and not feeling great. So I started looking at other options. I'd always discounted alcohol-free beer as being disgusting. I certainly didn't touch it when I was pregnant and not drinking. But my husband and I did dry January in 2018, and we ordered a mixed selection of alcohol-free beers and drank our way through them. And a lot of them were disappointing, but I did find one that quite liked and started drinking more of it, particularly on that sort of you know Tuesday night when you fancy a beer midweek, but just don't want the fuzzy head. And it's brilliant. I was like, oh, I can have a beer and I'm not worrying about the alcohol. But then I looked in my fridge at the alcoholic beers that I would normally drink. And I drink quite locally. I love all the brilliant breweries there are in Edinburgh and around. And yet here I was drinking a German lager just because I didn't want the alcohol. So I felt like I was being forced to make a different choice in order to avoid the alcohol. And that didn't feel right. And then I still can't quite explain it, but the idea took hold of me that or maybe I could do this. (laughs) Maybe I could brew an alcohol-free beer that was better than what was out there and that was brewed in Scotland. I don't have a background in brewing or the drinks industry. I did start life at Unilever, so I have worked in brands and marketing before. And as a marketing consultant, I've worked with some startup food and drinks businesses. So I think I'd taken some inspiration from some of my clients. And I just thought, well, there's many reasons why I shouldn't do this. My life is already far too busy, (laughs) but I'll just do one step at a time, see how I go. So the first step was to see, well, can I develop a recipe for a beer that's better than what's out there already? So I did a startup brewing course to learn more about how you brew beer and how you'd set up a brewery and totally loved it. 
fell in love with the, I guess, the beauty and the craft of the brewing process. It's organic. You're dealing with live yeasts. It's unpredictable. It's really complicated. And there's a reason why it's a four-year degree course at Harriet Watt. So I realized I was going to need some help to do this. And while I was there, I met a brewer who had developed a low alcohol beer before, and he was willing to work with me to translate the beer I had in my head into a a recipe on paper that we could brew with. So we brewed three different versions of a lager. And I wanted to start with a lager because I feel that lager is quite unloved, particularly in the craft sector, but it's what a lot of people like to drink, including me. So we did three different batches. One failed straight away. And then of the two that I shared with my friends, family, and some sort of independent bottle shops, there was one that was a standout winner. And everyone loved it. And I ran a few tasting sessions comparing it to what was on the market. And everyone was like, no, this is this is great. So I thought, right, I've got this really amazing beer that needs to be drunk. So I'm going to have to take the next step of getting this made commercially. And that was a really difficult, long process. I was very naive. I, I didn't didn't know I didn't know what I didn't know. <laughs> so I set off looking to find a brewer in Scotland, a brewery that would be willing to work with me and scale my recipe. And after a lot of asking around, I found a brewery who was willing to have a crack. So I gave them my recipe and they're like, okay, yep, yeah, we'll do it. And and I thought it would just be as simple as scaling up and that would be fine. So I, I came back in a month before we were due to can the beer and I tasted it. And it tasted nothing like the beer that I was expecting to brew. And I think at that point I realized, okay, this is going to be a lot more difficult than I realized. A bit more complex than you thought. A bit more complex. (laughs) Because again, there are so many variables in brewing that the malts that you use, the the water that you use, the the temperature, the type of kit. And, you know, each brewer is an individual as well in terms of how they do things. So I sometimes say it's a bit like, you know, you've got a recipe for a six inch cake that you bake in your oven at home and you give that to a different oven, different chef and a sort of 50 times bigger and and the cake's not going to come out quite the same. Yeah. The upside of things going wrong is that I I learned a lot more and I, I realized that what I was trying to do is very new, that no one had really done it before. And so it was really up to me to really get on top of every aspect of the process. Eventually, you know, I had to move to a different brewery. And the first thing I knew that first time it wasn't going to work out because it was the first time brewing on different kit and it didn't work out, but it did taste right. So having cracked the flavor, then we brewed again and and crack the fermentation to make sure we hit below 0.5. And that's when we launched. So, so yeah, so we launched in December 2019 with, with my flagship Yardarm Lager. Mm-hmm. And then went straight into COVID. So that was another. another Great time. <laughs> yeah. And that Yardarm Lager, that's the one that has been award winning as well. So yeah. A yeah. good start. <laughs> yeah, no, it was. It ended a few awards and it generally it's one. And the big the big one for us was we won a couple of Scottish Beer Awards gold. And that was the first award I got in 2020. And that that was a big one because, you know, I wanted this to be a Scottish beer. So to be recognised by the Scottish brewing community was great. And then the following year, 2021, we won Best in the World at the World Beer Awards, which is quite a lengthy process. So 
all the beers are judged within their own countries and then the winner from each country is then judged against the others from different countries around the world. So our Yard Arm Lager was judged against Stella Artois and Carlsberg and Athletic Brewing in the States and we were the winner. So that was fantastic and that got us some international recognition as well. Wow, um, pretty pretty impressive for yeah your first lager. Yeah, and I kind of thought, gosh, what the budget some of these big brewers have had in developing their beers and the one I produce is judged better. So, so that was great because I kind of put it on the can. We want to brew world-class beer in Scotland. So that was really delivering on that. Brilliant. No, it's great to hear. So I guess you've learned a lot from your experiences. Can you explain the process of making beer, first of all, and I suppose is making alcohol-free beer much more challenging, would you say? Yes, so alcoholic beer, you start with it's water, barley, yeast and hops are the, the main ingredients. And everything you're doing in the brewing process is, is to produce an alcoholic beer. So it's about adding hot water to the barley in the mash where you're extracting the flavours and the sugars. And then you add the yeast so the yeast can ferment those sugars turn them into alcohol and then you add the hops both for bittering and for aroma and and for flavor and there's a few different ways to brew alcohol-free beer the macro beers produced in big quantities quite often they'll brew an alcoholic beer and then they'll strip the alcohol out of it normally through either heating the beer because the alcohol evaporates or through pushing it through a membrane because the alcohol molecules are bigger they get left behind it's called Mm. reverse osmosis or some beers just aren't fermented at all so they don't add yeast and you maybe use some more extracts and hop extracts and blend it and carbonate it almost in the same way you would a soft drink but for me I'm I'm a little bit purist and I I kind of like the challenge of taking on the standard brewing process but adapting to brew a beer that is naturally less than 0.5 so everything we do about beer is designed to to have fermentation so we do add yeast because that is where a lot of the complex flavor transformation happens you can really taste the difference between an unfermented and a a fermented beer but that only minimal fermentation happens so that the alcohol we produce is just a trace. So we brew on normal brewing equipment. The way we sort of manage the process is the amount of malt that we put in at the start and the types of malt. So we're not reducing the amount of sugars available. The temperature of the mash as well, depending on how hot it is, it sort of affects the amount of complex simple sugars released then we use for some of our beers we use different yeasts yeasts which aren't so good at converting all the different sugars into alcohol and then yeasts operate best at certain temperatures so cooling it down quickly once we've hit hit the right fermentation we've got a few different styles of beer now and then they're all slightly different in how we do it but that's the sort of the general rules that we follow for, for so, something that sounds so simple with just kind of four ingredients that you mentioned the water barley yeast hops there's so many different factors that you know could impact that kind of recipe and the outcome so yeah, yeah. i can understand why it's so complex and the no alcohol beer that's any drink that's less than 0.5 percent if it's less than 0.5 it falls within the alcohol free category because the average alcohol content for a kind of standard beer is that about four percent 4.4 i read something like that yeah yeah because it can be quite confusing this category and it's quite a new category and so there can be confusion but you've still got alcohol in your beer and i I always use the example of a large ripe banana which can be you know 0.4 percent abv there's kind of naturally occurring alcohol and a lot of the things we consume 
but not in enough quantity to have any physiological effects. Yeah. And you mentioned you've got different lagers, different beers, ales, IPAs. Yeah. What, what's the difference? <laughs> you've got your lagers and ales. It's different types of yeast that ferment, top fermenting or, or bottom fermenting. And they have quite different flavour profiles. And lager generally needs to condition for longer at a cold temperature, which is basically lagering. Okay. <laughs> you have pale ales, which generally lighter in colouring than dark rails. IPA is an interesting one because in an alcoholic IPA, you'd always expect to be stronger in alcohol than a pale ale. It's got quite an interesting story behind it. So it was when the, the British were sending beer out to India for the troops, the traditional pale ales weren't holding up so well, mm-hmm. but they found if they added more hops and more alcohol, um, the beer was preserved better because both alcohol and hops are preservative. And then soldiers got quite used to drinking this kind of sort of stronger, more flavorful beer. And so for us as a non-alcoholic IPA, we're obviously not increasing the alcohol, but what we are doing is, is using more hops and using hops at different points in the process. So hops are brilliant. They're full of all sorts of quite complex flavor compounds and they react quite differently to heat. So if you add hops in during the boil when sort of very hot, then you tend to get more of the bitterness and less of the aroma. So with our IPA, in addition to adding some at the end of the boil, we also have a dry hop. So once the beer is cooled down to maybe 14 degrees, we then add some hops. So it's not hot at that point. So you get less bitterness and more aroma. So more sort of whether it's tropical or citrus or pine, peaches, passion fruit, all those kind of flavors come through. And then we'll add, you know, a few days later, add a few more hops. So the longer the hops sit in the beer, the different flavors you get as well. Uh, IPA is a dry hop and a pale ale isn't. Wow. It sounds like there's a lot of chemistry and science going into making beer. Huge amount. Huge amount. Yeah. A a degree in chemistry or biochemistry really helps. My my degree's history, by the way. (laughs) Very useful, I'm sure. I'll tell you the story of the IPA first. Yeah, I never realised the story behind the, of course, it's Indian pale ale, isn't it? But I never questioned where the Indian part came from or why that was. So yeah, thanks for clarifying that. (laughs) So the hops, they sound wonderful. And and I take it they provide some of the flavour. We don't grow hops in Scotland, do we? We do barley, but not the hops. Yeah, so we have wonderful barley and really high quality malts produced in Scotland, but hops, it's just a bit too far north. So you might be successful growing a few in your garden, but not commercially. So in the UK, our main hop growing regions are Herefordshire and Kent. So the most recent beer that we've just released is a rye IPA, sort of amber style. And we've used all British hops from that, which is great because I I went on a tour of a hop farm back in September and I was really impressed by the skill and the focus on sustainability. And, you know, we've got a great proud history of hop growing in Britain and brewers like me need to buy those hops to make sure we've still got those farms here growing the hops. Mm -hmm. We also use hops, North America, Europe, Germany and Australia as well. So Galaxy Hop, which we use in Angoostwing, IPA is only grown in Australia and that's a it's a really it's a super hop it's got incredible orange passion fruit stone fruit aromas and also adds body and mouthfeel as well I can't explain okay. why but it does <laughs> I know something that hops and, and barley as well are good for is the polyphenols and all the kind of beneficial plant compounds which are good for our health and yeah so yeah a non-alcoholic beer could potentially have these kind of nutritional benefits I know they're 
quite good for B vitamins. Yes. Folate yeah. and vitamin B12. So they're one of the few dietary sources of vitamin B12 for vegans or plant sources. Yeah, definitely. And and I think for me, I came into non-alcoholic beer because I wanted to avoid the alcohol. But actually, once you've taken out the alcohol, you're sort of unveiling a whole lot of other health benefits. It's actually a lot of the calories in beer come from the alcohol. So if it's non-alcoholic, you looking at at least a third of the calories of a normal beer, low in sugar, low in carbohydrates. But as you said, sort of with the the additional benefits of B vitamins and compared to swapping out a sugary soft drink as well, it's a healthier choice. And of course, it's uh, fermented food or or drink as well. So potentially some probiotics in there. I think a lot lot of non-alcoholic beers, including ours, are pasteurized. Oh, yeah. Um, It's something that that we need to do because we've taken out the alcohol, which was the preservative. Yeah. Um, I think even if it's pasteurized, you do get some things called postbiotics now that they've discovered, which is even though it's pasteurized, these postbiotics, which are the kind of byproducts of the fermentation, still are there and potentially still might have a benefit. It's like sourdough bread. It's been baked, so the live bacteria are killed off, but there's still benefits. So yeah, there still might be a benefit there. That's fantastic. I'd love to look more into that. That sounds fascinating. And a beer that helps your gut health, that's Yeah, it's a fascinating area of nutrition research. There's so much we still don't know about it, but yeah, really interesting. So you mentioned there you've got lots of different types of beer. One I know that you've done recently that I've tasted is the rhubarb. Is it rhubarb and something or just rhubarb rhubarb? and ginger? Yeah, rhubarb and ginger. Yeah. So how did you come up with that flavor? How do you come up with new flavors for your beers and lagers? So the rhubarb and ginger, we brewed it as a beer that would be particularly good to drink in summertime, warmer days. We were thinking about something that would be refreshing, so not too sweet, but had a bit of tartness to it. And I think that's where rhubarb came along and also something that we could source locally as well. And we were brewing this in May time, so rhubarb season. And ginger to bring a bit of warmth because something that alcohol does it gives a kind of a warmth on the palate mm-hmm. as does ginger so we were sort of looking at whether adding ginger would give that kind of almost like trick you into thinking there's that kind of alcoholic warmth coming through and also I, I love the combination of rhubarb and ginger I always put crystallized ginger in my crumble <laughs> good combination yeah so we had literally 40 kilos of fresh rhubarb we've had to wheelbarrow it into the brewery and stick it in big <laughs> muslin bags and put that into the kettle. But a few people said, like, don't make a rhubarb beer, the flavour will never come through. So I'm, I'm really pleased. Until you brew it at scale, you never 100% know how it's going to turn out <laughs> first time round. And uh, really pleased with how that, that rhubarb taste came in. And the ginger is there as a background flavour, but I wasn't trying to create a ginger beer. And mm-hmm. just as a kind of a complimentary flavour. So yeah, very that's very delicious, that one. Yeah. I have to think about whether we through that again I've got another another fruity one lined up first that we're looking at doing this of spring this year oh brilliant look out for that so what's the kind of things that you should be thinking of when you taste beer I, a lot of the time I, I talk to my nutrition clients about mindful eating but should we be mindfully drinking and if so what should we be thinking about when we drink beer or lager what's the kind of taste and notes to look out for I think it's your first time 
drinking a non-alcoholic beer it's kind of understanding that alcohol is a flavor component so well you know the biggest compliment I think you can get is people drink our beer and don't realize it's non-alcoholic alcohol in itself is a taste and that that taste isn't going to be there I mean bitterness is a component of beer and it's very we all taste bitterness very differently some of us are more sensitive to it so for some people they really want a beer with a bitter finish for some some people they don't for me I didn't want a beer that was overly sweet and some non-alcoholic beers can be quite sweet so so when you're drinking a beer you're experiencing bitterness there's also the level of sweetness that you can get from the malts with a darker sort of amber beer you might get more of sweetness from crystal malts and those kind of malts with a stout really dark beer you quite often have like roasted barley in there so you're getting sort of roasty toasty coffee flavors Mm. coming in always smell the beer before you drink it like you would a wine or a whiskey give the glass a swirl put your nose in because the aroma is a lot of the flavor as well and for an IPA or the hoppier beers that's when you're really looking for a nice treat your nose I mean hops can be sweet spicy floral piney vegetal almost (laughs) there's lots of different characteristics that come through there and similarly these follow through the hops will reflect the flavor as well for a lager, for me, it is kind of like a crispness that you're you're looking for as well. That refreshing palate that kind of just makes you want to to have another drink quickly because it's so, so quenching. Yeah, and then sour beers as well are increasingly popular, and and they can follow a whole range of a little bit tart through to sort of lip puckering. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting growth area at the moment, sour beers. Oh gosh, then you can get onto a whole level of different styles. I mean, I, I came into this as someone who enjoyed beer, enjoyed the craft beers I was drinking and wasn't particularly knowledgeable. But once you get into all the different types of European styles, yeah, there's there's tons out there to discover. There's a lot to think about then when drinking non-alcoholic beer and I'll yeah. try that next yeah. time. Is that why it's becoming a bit more popular or very popular what's the kind of consumption trends you must know the market more than I do but it seems like it's becoming very popular in the last just couple of years yeah so I think the the market retail sales grew 60 percent over the last two years is that a particular group of people or is there particular consumers that are opting yeah there's kind of people sort of coming into it two ways there's people who are used to drinking alcoholic drinks and are now looking to cut back so beer drinkers who very much people like me who who want a beer but don't want the alcohol and people who are still drinking but looking to moderate and then there's also particularly the younger groups of 18 to 25 who just never drunk alcohol and I think they're probably looking for slightly different things. So for me, I wanted a beer. So I'm looking for a really beery beer in terms of replacing what I would used to drink. I think if you've never drunk beer, you're not looking to replicate something. You're looking to discover something. So I think people are open to much wider flavor profiles. It's kind of sweet or even spicy, um, but also not too sugary and sort of filling those the healthy criteria as well there's a, definitely a way to go if we compare the UK to Germany say or Spain Spain's the largest in Europe's 13% of the market share is alcohol free I think our total volume in the UK is sitting around 4% and, and we're still breaking down the barriers because traditionally alcohol free beer did taste disgusting and for a long time it was a category that wasn't given any love that was just a dusty old bottle of lager that was still warm that <laughs> they found at the back of the pub for you it was only a couple of years ago that's where we were I think there's a huge amount of growth still to come 
And yeah, and, and a few people are still like, I think on the hospitality side, working out how to serve it, where to put it on the menu. Can you serve it to someone who's under 18? The legislation actually isn't there. I think morally you'd say no, but there's kind of bits of that that, that need to get sorted out as well. And the definitions in the category as well. So what's no and what is low? We don't really have a clear definition of, of low alcohol yet. I know that's something that the government is, is looking at as well. And I suppose as they become more popular, it's, it's definitely something that needs that clarification. Yeah, but it's definitely, it's, it's a really exciting place to be in because what I, I love is that people who have decided to stop drinking or to cut back on drinking are really open to trying different things because you're like, oh, well, I'm not drinking that. Well, what am I going to drink now? And I think so many people I speak to who kind of initially started their journey to, to moderation with a bit of trepidation. And I don't know, it's just so delightful and joyful to find these amazing drinks you can still have. So you're, you're really not missing out. You're just switching out your ABV, not, not the beer. <laughs> Sounds good. So is the future bright or what does the future hold for Jump Ship? What's your kind of ambitions? Yeah, no, it's, it's a really exciting time for us. Ever since I sort of first had the idea for Jump Ship, I wanted to have our own brewery. Up until now, we've been brewing on other breweries' equipment, which has been great. It's been good to work with different people and it's got us to where we are now. But to really refine what we do, to, to really specialise and to really deliver on sustainability as well, we, we can want to have our own home. So I found the site just outside Edinburgh and we're going live this week with big crowdfunding drive to gain investment and to give away a share of our business to people who are as excited about alcohol-free beer as us and want to be part of the journey. Brilliant. So I imagine this week is a very busy week for you. Yes. <laughs> very exciting yeah. week. Yeah. Well, that sounds like, yeah, great ambition. So it's just on the outskirts of Edinburgh, this potential brewery. Yeah. So in Midlothian on a farm and uh, we've got access to to biomass energy to to help oh. heat the brew house because brewing is a, an energy intensive process. And, you know, it's, it's tough for brews right now with the cost of energy being so high. So for us to be able to tap into a sustainable energy source and also um, secure energy source as well is really exciting. And they'll be looking to add solar power into that in the next 12 months as well. Brilliant. Well, for anyone that wants more information on that, I'll put the link if you've can share the link for that in the show notes I'll add that in so we're almost at the end I suppose but because it's a food connections podcast I have to relate this back to food what would you say is a good food pairing for one of your favorite beers that you make having beers that pair well with food is really important to me because I had some really disappointing early experiences of eating out with a beer that did not match my food at all and it was just really disappointing so each beer I have different flavors for every beer the lager is great with pizza with fish and chips the stout is an interesting one because it's got some really smoky depth to it so having it with chili or barbecue it's just incredible and chocolate cake as well oh nice <laughs> and have you got any kind of memory or kind of favorite food memory that you want to share I think one of my favorite memories we were driving north with family for a holiday and we stopped at calendar to get fish and chips it's about six o'clock in the evening and we sat down by the river and as ever I have my cooler of jump ship beers <laughs> and just sitting there with like really awesome fish and chips nice cold beer watching the river go past it was just a very peaceful happy moment and knowing I could still drive the rest of the journey <laughs> <laughs> brilliant <laughs> perfect picture there 
Thank you so much for your time today. It's been absolutely fascinating hearing a bit more about how beer is made and non-alcoholic beer and all the kind of benefits and taste and elements. There's so much. It's such a complex thing. So I'll be definitely thinking about all the flavour profiles the next time I tuck into my my non-alcoholic beer. So thank you for that. Thanks for your time. And thank uh, you so much. Good luck with the crowdfunding. Thank you. (laughs) Cheers. Bye. Thanks for listening to this Food Connections podcast. Do check out the show notes for some great links related to this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you could give it a rating and leave a short review. And please do spread the word and tell others about it. If you have any comments or suggestions for future guests, do get in touch. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.